Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it still sounds fresh after all these years. And, and look, it's still relevant, you know what I mean? It is, it is an anti-war song, and it is about mm. coming together. It is about, you know, demonstrating that you, you've, we've normally got more in common between each other than we have the separate divisors, you know what I mean? And that's ultimately what that song is trying to, um, you know, uh, allude to, you know. And, and so it's such a great story. Welcome. We are Neil, Luke and Dave. 340-somethings, reminiscing on the runners and riders of 90s guitar music. We look at the bands who soundtracked our youth on both sides of the pond and interview some of our heroes from the bands that defined a generation. You'll hear about the good, the bad and the ugly of 90s guitar music. This podcast is stupid and contagious. Hello. Welcome to episode 27, 27, the Stupid and Contagious podcast. Got Keith Mullin from the farm this week. Nice little interview, that one. Get onto that in a bit. Um, first thing, <laughs> Luke, why does your face look so fucked? I mean, oh, I think fucked is overstating it. Um, but uh, yeah, I got a bit of sunburn somehow, even though it's the winter. Yeah, how do you do that? I don't know. Just it's a bank holiday weekend over here. No, it's Just my forehead cheeks. as well. It's got like a, a line across here. It's here. Oh, You've been on here. the sunbed. Have you? You've been on the sunbed. I've just been you? out in the sun for like two two whole days, even though it's kind of cold. Just like the the sun on your face just kind of caught me. Yeah. You've been on one of those sunbeds with those little goggle things, haven't you? Trying to get looking good for the <laughs> podcast, like Donald Trump. You got me. You got me. Neil, have you got your van? I have. But I picked it up yesterday. Oh, nice. He's going to become a nomad. I am digital yeah. nomad. Yeah. What needs doing to it? Everything. It's empty. Got to build a house. Oh, really? Should be fun. A lot of money, a lot of time. But You did record the van pickup, right, for your YouTube channel? I didn't, no. Yeah. I didn't record the pickup. Oh, oh mate. Failed at the first hurdle. But we can stage the pickup. And I can play the uh, the garage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do it. I can wear overalls. Yeah, we just go down to Berwick Station down the road from you, can't we? The Berwick petrol station. Yeah. Ask them if we can use the forecourt for five <laughs> minutes. Right. Um, yeah, I bought a van. What, what everyone else, what, what's everyone else been up to this week? Reading a lot of books, listening to a lot of records, uh, good stuff, you know? How can, how can you read a lot of books in a week? I've read about four books last week. Fucking hell. That's Fucking like hell. nearly a what book a, a day. <sighs> so, you know, what, what, what better use of your time is there than to read books, man? Uh, build vans. Yeah. Build vans is pretty good. Yeah, that's true. Dave, you're in your masturbatorium. You've been spending a lot of time in there. Built a wardrobe. In the masturbatorium. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Yeah, I've seen yeah, yeah. Dave's. I've seen Dave's war, wardrobe, which is, you know, it's it's he's done very well. But yeah, it's like just a closed-off area in the bedroom. So, in the masturbatorium, you mean? He's built. He's built a masturbatorium within the masturbatorium. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. For a sneaky yeah. one. Good on you, man. Good on you. <laughs> I'm impressed. It took 27 episodes for you to use the word masturbatorium. <laughs> I would say it. I think we used it early on, didn't we? Or was that just when we were? I don't think. I... Maybe not. Maybe that's. First he's been waiting. Time. He's been waiting. <laughs> I, forgot. I just forgot about your your secret room until now. It's all gold plated tissue holder and all of that. It's brilliant in there. <laughs> this is all in his mind. 
He's just seen a nice walk-in larder in our house. And then his imagination has run riot. You call it what you want, man. You call it what you want. That is, it's a masturbatorium and that's it. Whatever you want to call it. Anyway, Keith from the farm. I had a look in Wikipedia and they didn't, it would get, they were useless this week. They didn't even give me one sort of label for the farm. So I can't even give you that. I mean, well, it's difficult to label because their sound changed so much, right? Um, they were put in with the baggies, uh, indie dance, I guess. We were too young to go to acid house clubs. Yeah, that that we just missed out on that, didn't we? Just missed out on that. Mm. That would have been good. But you know, acid house, right? Did they actually take acid in them? No. Yeah. They can't. Ecstasy. Why? It would have been hideous. <laughs> yeah, and I think they originally they had, like, going white out gloves and. And like welding masks and shit. Not welding masks, but those kind of masks, didn't they? Dave's right, though. Imagine like a thousand people off their heads on acid. It would have been a fucking free-for-all. It just can't work. Yeah, yeah it would have I been a free for just... Yeah. But maybe it started with acid and they went on to ease. I don't know. It's a good question, mm-hmm. man. It's a good question. Let me Google it. Troubling me for years, that question. Here we go. I've got, I've got the answer. The scene Ooh, was quick. dubbed Acid House... After the seething, burbling, acid sound produced by the 303 bass synthesizer and predominantly featured on Chicago House go. Records. Nothing to do with the drug. Right. Nothing to there do with the Explains mm. a lot. I also thought, how can there be loads of people in a room on acid freaking out? And it'd be a good time. <laughs> you know. There we go. We've just answered it. For uh, I better, there's a lot of people listening that, that have been thinking the same thing all these years. Mystery solved. Yeah, the old uh, M25 rave scene was something else, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. From the interview, we talk about it in the interview, but yeah, that's kind of features quite predominantly in their uh, evolution as a band. I think. Yeah, definitely. If you are watching this, then please do give it a thumbs up. Leave us a comment below or get an invite. If you're watching it in a premiere, get involved in the chat. Uh, leave us a comment below. Let us know your favourite farm songs, farm memories. Just get a conversation started. If you are listening, then please do rate and review so that we can get this podcast found. Yeah, Luke, tell us a bit about the farm. Uh, formed in 1983 in Liverpool uh, by uh, Peter Hooton. And according to one thing I, I read, they, he said you know, basically he was he's looking for a musical outlet for his socialist political leanings, basically. So we kind of formed mm-hmm. a band with the intention of getting these kind of ideas out into the world. Um, so that's pretty early, right? 1983. 83. What are you doing in 83? <laughs> okay. <sighs> Dave? We didn't have a holiday in 83. I remember that. <laughs> <Do you remember? laughs> I think we went to Romania in 83 when what? it was still a communist country. My dad said, you know, he used to go out into go out into the sea to like buy stuff. That was like the black market. You had to go out into the sea and like exchange like the money and the goods to buy stuff. Why the hell did you go there? I don't know. I was not my choice. I don't I can't remember 83. So early on, um, lots of lineup changes. Um, Keith joined the band in 1985, so just a couple of years um, later. Also, um, it said that one one member, the drummer, died yeah. after yeah. a police, That's escaping right. from the police, basically. 
Yeah, police mm. chase. I saw that. Yeah. That's pretty tragic. Yeah, back then, so I saw them describe, their early sound was described as pop-flavoured Northern Soul, which I, I like that. Oh, and he good, talks yeah. about in the interview, they had like a brass section and all of that kind of stuff. And he talks about the scar influence and the Northern right. Soul influence in there. So they were doing that stuff. They released a few singles, basically. The first one was in 1984, released two or three more um, up until 89, but nothing going on really. Uh, and their sound gradually changed over this time. He, again, we won't go into detail because he talks about it really mm. well, but basically Acid House came along and they were influenced uh, by that, yeah. like a lot of bands were, right? So until 1990, when everything changed, so two massive singles, Groovy Train went in at number six yeah, and then man. followed by the timeless classic altogether now in at number four, both of them in 1990. Yeah. Interestingly, um, I was, uh, they, they did a, a very early version of All Together Now, uh, back in 83, right. on their first oh, really? uh, Peel session. I've, I always, I've got like the Peel session book. I always check it for, see if our guests did, did a session. Know. And they did a few. Uh, <laughs> I'm such a nerd. And uh, yeah, so way back then they did a version of that, which I think is on, it's on Spotify. Um, that, that, it sounds very different. Very different. It's got like a kind of martial, like military beat kind of thing going on. It's, um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, is it recognisably the same song? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, massive songs, right? Huge. Yeah, huge. Those songs were just there, weren't they? You couldn't really escape them. They were huge, huge songs. And and they still are all together now. It's still, it's all, mm. it's everywhere. We still hear it, right? It's always on. Well, I said, mm. I said in another, another episode, but when I went to Shine, the Shine On Festival, um, yeah, that song was a highlight for me. Just sounded great. Timeless classic, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's an anti-war song, so it's quite relevant at the moment as well. And it's, uh, it's one of those, isn't it? They also, um, we talk about in the interview, but they went to Ibiza uh, in 1990 and they made a documentary for Channel 4 um, called, uh, what's it called? Chilling? A short film Chilling. about Chilling. Did you watch it? That's it. No, no. Short I film about Chilling. It. I want to it's, watch it's, it. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's only it's like 40 minutes. It's on YouTube and uh, it's, it's worth a watch. Just that, that snapshot in time, right? Mate, yeah, and he says in the interview, I think it was like the first Ibiza documentary. Like no one really knew about Ibiza at the time. It's the first sort of look at what happened on the island. Again, mm. Ibiza was something that I never did. That would have been a good thing to do. Did your brother ever go? Did Sam go? He might have done. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure let us know in the comments. But yeah, I think he did. He was probably too busy dancing a night away at Lead Airport, wasn't he? He probably yeah. was. <laughs> he was. Yeah. yeah that yeah, was yeah, Acid yeah. House, wasn't it? An Acid House rave. He'll tell us all about it in the comments. I hope he does, man. We we want we want reports from people that were there back in the day, right? That's what we want. Yeah, man. I'd love to have gone to Ibiza when it was cool. It's interesting, like that in the documentary, it's all it's already a little bit late, right? In that by nineteen ninety, like there's like yeah. these the interview these like these raver girls, and they're like they're disappointed because it's like uh, they're expecting like hard house, and it's they're like oh it's all like yeah. ambient and like boring now. We wanted like you know harder, and yeah. so already like music was changing. You know, it was, it's interesting. I like the whole Ibiza thing. 
on the back of those massive singles, they finally released their debut album in 1991. So again, we've got a theme, haven't we, over the last few episodes yeah. of bands taking a long time between forming and, and releasing uh, an album. I think a lot of that might be just because of um, recording processes as well. They've changed so much. It's really easy to quickly record something these days. It wasn't back then. And you need you a record to plan deal. everything out. You need, yeah, you need you someone to... behind you, right? Mm. You need a record deal and you had to plan everything. You couldn't just go in and sort of mess around until you found something that worked because it was time was money and it was all on tape. So you just had to be more uh, intentional. Uh, Spartacus album, 1991, went straight to number one in the charts. Uh, in the UK, at least. Uh, mainly produced by Suggs, interesting, yeah, which I didn't know. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. So on the back of that, they they signed loads of international deals, I think with Sony mainly, and they were set for international megastardom, but they didn't, they didn't achieve it, basically. Oh, I thought something was coming from the way yeah, you were so I it. thought it was like yeah, wow. leaving us with a cliffhanger. Well, they released no. a couple of the, the singles after from so the the next singles not from that album um basically didn't even make the top 30 the next album came mm. out in 92 so just a year later uh love see mm. no color didn't even chart even though it's just a it's year mad, later they released a third album hullabaloo in 94 didn't chart that was it that was it and then they broke up soon after that and then like a lot of bands i think over time they've they've gained that sort of legendary status and they're they had a huge crowd at Shine On, and uh, like I said, it was one of the highlights for me. Um, so they started touring again in 2004, um, playing lots of festivals, like you say, Shine On. Also, they've been very politically active, um, musically politically active, talking um, part of something called The Collective. They did a lot of work for the Hillsborough campaign, uh, and they've released a couple of singles in the last few years. Uh, he mentions a new single in the interview, and that's, Mm. Just come out. It's called uh, "Let the Music Take Control." It's pretty yeah. good. One of their best. I really like that. Couldn't believe it was them. Like these bands, like Shed Seven. That's some of their best work. I think EMF's new album's getting rave reviews. It just seems like these bands. Some of them are releasing their best stuff. Like like now, you know, it's good. Yeah. It's good to see, isn't it? Because a lot of times, I think bands just release something just for the sake of releasing something and it's all it's a bit shit but it doesn't seem to be that way with a lot of these new releases which is good all right so should we just have a listen to the interview yeah let's do it here's keith mullin from the farm enjoy uh, hi keith thanks Hello, so keith. much for coming on thanks so much for coming on um i caught you guys at shine on festival well, it's last year yeah. now, wasn't it? Um, did you enjoy that gig? It was a good one, right? Um, we we seem to. I think we played Men of Every Shine on. Uh, we haven't played it. We've DJed it. Um, personally, I think it's a great it's a great festival. You know what I mean? It's for for some people our age. Although I probably think I'm a little bit older than you. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think we're catching I, you up. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you might be. Um, I think year on year it just it gets stronger and better as a festival, you know. And, and we always seem to be on at a different time or in a different room. But yeah, last year was great. But uh, this year it was it, it was an exceptional gig. I, I, I thought we played really well because 
we've been playing all year and so you're constantly when you're in a band and you're playing all year you, you obviously you you, you, you kind of it's more like automatic it's more habitual as opposed to having to oh God, what, what was I was playing again last <laughs> six months ago you know because you haven't played together for six months because we're all very busy people do you know what I mean we've got separate careers other than being in the farm you know what I mean so we're all very busy doing the stuff that we do so we get back together every year to uh, either you know play music write music or or, or, or do farm things you know I, I, more for fun really you know more for fun these days yeah but yeah, that, that festival was um, that festival was a great festival. I really enjoyed really enjoyed that gig. Yeah, it was good. I, it was it was really a moment, wasn't it, when um, <laughs> you did all together now, dedicated to uh, Manny and, and his family, and uh, it's just a really nice moment. Yeah, well, that was um, that was that was that was peace, and obviously it was obviously you know it was, it was the right thing to do at that particular time, you know. Um, because we've, um, you know, Stone Roses and stuff, you know, as people, great people, you know, and they've, they've been really good to us over the years, you know. Especially when we did, yeah. um, we were, we, when we were the Justice and Light bands, you know, in, um, in 20, you know, 2011 to 2012, with Mick Jones from the class. We were doing that for the Hills thing, you know. Um, and um, mm. they took us on the, a lot of their gigs, you know. Uh, as Man United fans, they were like, yeah, it could have been us. And, the, um, I'm an Everton fan, by the way, I'm not a Liverpool fan. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment on uh, recent performance. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! I love. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Well done>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they've always been good to us, you know, and, and it's such a tragic thing to, to, to happen, you know. And, and um, yeah. I haven't had answered twice myself, you know. I mean, I kind of know. I'll, I'll, mm. what, I'll, you know, you, you can never really know anyone else's experience, but you can certainly empathise with things. And he's such a a wonderful soul, you know what I mean? And, and those moments are, you know, all together now, wherever we go, always goes down really, really well. You know, it's a song that's it's kind of lasted the test of the time, you know, lasted the test of time. Uh, it's a real moment. Like I was saying to the guys when I come back from Joan On Festival, that, I'm not just saying this because you're wrong, but it, it, that was one of my highlights of, the festival. It was just a big old sing along. It did. It was, it, was real, it was a real moment. Yeah. I love stuff like that. The power of music yeah. right there, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it still sounds fresh after all these years. And it's still relevant, you know what I mean? It, it, is, it is an anti war song, but it is about mm. coming together. It's about, you know, stem straightening that. You've, you've, we've normally got more in common between each other than we have the separate divisors, you know what I mean? And that's ultimately what that song is trying to, um, you know, uh, allude to, you know. And, and so it's such a great story in terms of what the song's actually about, which is, you know, the First World War, where they kind of stopped killing each other on Christmas and had a game of football, you know, between the Germans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's Peter that, you know, obviously Peter wrote the lyrics for that and, and come up with the you know, the, the, the concept and idea in terms of, you know, it's a poem and started, we wrote it as a poem originally and then put it to music, you know, um, when we started to play, um, you know, uh, the, the the music in the rehearsal, in the you know, so that's how that kind of kind of came about, you know, Steve coming up with the, the musical idea and uh, Peter had all his lyrics and we put it together and jammed it all out and, and then went to the studio and the Suggs produced that, produced that, some madness, you know. So, yeah, oh, really? really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was his, his idea to have the break before the uh, chorus, you know, where the, the, the drop down, where everything drops out and goes into the chorus. That was one of Suggs' idea. That was Suggs, was it? That's cool. Yeah, That's cool. Drop everything out 
Uh, well, let's, let's take it right back. So can you tell us a bit about how you get, you joined joined the farm? Well, I, uh, I joined the farm around about 1985. The farm had already been going um, as, as, as a band. We're known band Liverpool. And I joined around about nine, 1985. Um, and that was because I was, you know, um, they were, the guitarist had left and they were looking for a it was purely based upon um, two um, lads I knew that um, I went to the football with, you know, so I, I was, a, a, you know, a match-going person, if you like, and, and dressed a certain way. Um, what later would become known as casual, you know, I suppose people would call it that, even though it wasn't necessarily called casual. It was called something completely different. But So, you know, um, I mean, the farm were synonymous, I suppose, with that look. You know, and and because I I went to football and played guitar, and I looked a certain way. Two friends of mine, me and Peter, and said to Peter, "There's a lad um, from Brandas who plays guitar. He's great. He, he looks the part. You might want to give him a, give him a try." So, then Steve came out in that mine and, and auditioned me in the house. You know, where I can't I can't even remember what I played, but I did play with some chords and some licks and just messed around with the guitar. And he went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you're it." <laughs> they give me a go and he invited me to a rehearsal and then I kind of just slotted in from there, you know. And, wow. um, so it was, my, my first ever gig was in London uh, with them and it was in a, a, a venue called Merlin's Cave. I never quite forget. All right. Yeah. That was the first ever. Was that, uh, whereabouts was that in London? I can't remember, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I think it was definitely I think right. North London. I think it was North London, but I can't remember what it was. What, what did the band sound like then? Had, had the well, sound the band, developed? Well, the, the farm sound evolved all the time, you know, you know, evolved quite significantly. But at that mm. particular time, that section, and it was a mixture of kind of scar sound and punk, you know, kind of influenced by the jam, by the Sex Pistols, by, by um, you know, specials and bands like that. So I suppose it was a... Um, and it was quite soulful at the time. It was um, the people used to call us socialists or soul or the soul socialists or something like that, you know, because the, the lyrical content was quite um, so, it was social commentary focused. But that's what the music was then, you know. And, yeah. and, um, and and we had a bit of a kind of Scottish soulful sound to us, you know, which was a bit of hard edge indie to it, I suppose. And so it was that, <clears throat> and that worked for me, you know. I, am, I really like them as a band, and so so the lineup was really two guitars, bass, drums, you know, um, Peter vocals, um, me and Steve on back vocals if needed, or and, and then a brass section, you know. So we had a brass section quite early on, which was which was interesting because the recent single we just put out, we we put we we returned to to have pipe and some brass on that. We had saxophone on it, we got trombone on it. And we had well, that's the scar influence, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. the scar, you know. I've loved Sky, you know. It's, it's, me too, it's, me too, yeah. It's been a big part of my life, you know, especially in the early days, you know. But um, so so that's kind of how it sounded and, and, and in the early, in the, when I joined and, and in those early, late 80s until all started being influenced by you know, the different style of music that was, that was, that was arriving. I mean, we'd always been into like, you know, hip hop and, and music like that, you know, and, and, we were kind of quite influenced as well by bands like Big, Big Old Little Dynamite, you know, the things that Mick Jones was, mm. was, was in, you know, and, and, and what Mick Jones was doing in Big Old Little Dynamite in the early, 
in the mid eighties, I suppose, was was really inspirational to us because it was possibly one of the first bands that began to use samplers and and and, and try to blend hip hop and, <clears throat> and reggae with independent music, you know, and, and that's what Big Audio Dine was about, you know. And, I mean, that's informed yeah. that after the class, you know, and and, and like his mix interest when he was in the class had, had changed quite significantly in, mm. in, in that. Being in New York and looking at hip hop and listening to rap and listening to all those sort of things, he wanted the clash to go in that direction. And he obviously didn't and, and produced it. And, and then he was sat left type thing and they produced the album Cut the Crap, which is yeah. never, never seen like the light of day. He went yeah. out to form Dynamite, you know, and, but they, they were a big influence to most you know, bands like that. And so, and that and, and house music, you know, would started to get involved in in house music you know mm. are you going out clubbing <clears throat> yeah yeah we were in, 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 in liverpool you know uh, yeah but, but places like the states and places like that which is i suppose the the, the monday night in, in, in the state was a, an acid house night you know which was remember we went there one time out of the air so we were like quite a we converts overnight. <laughs> we started in a maze by what was actually going on in this room, and, and that was probably um, you know probably towards the end of the eighties, you know about eighty eight or something like that, something like that. Mm. By what was going yeah. on, and that you started to listen to those types of records and that type of music, and then that started to seep into what you produce and create yourself, you know. Um, and we began working with uh, with DJs as producers, as opposed uh, uh, in addition to having a producer, you know. So we, you know, we we got to know through our, our manager at the time, Kevin Sampson, the likes of their uh, Teddy Farley and and people like that, and Andrew Weber, all and, and people like mm. that. So we started knocking in these and all of those type of people. So we started to kind of work with with, with them, you know, and, and uh, people like Charlie Chester, who you know, a, a bit of a, a, a cult. A cult figure in a, in a in Ibiza, you know. So mm. towards the end of these things, that's it. We, we kind of we, we were knocking around with them and begun to work with them. It obviously influenced the music, and we ultimately then became um, got started to you know because you write songs like we train all together now, you know, which were you know you think about these songs, well, they're also hip hop influenced because of the rhythms, the rhythm sections, you know, the loops because. We started to get into samplers. We bought and what was an Akai sampler and a computer and didn't really know what to yeah. do with it. <laughs> so we told our trumpet player, who was um, a bit of a, a wizard on keyboards and stuff, he had to learn it, you know, so what he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. That's, uh, that, was a, that was another uh, highlight that set at Shine On, actually, the, the old groovy train. That was, it sounded great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that, that, again, that's another song that's just um, kind of was written relatively quickly in the rehearsal room, you know what I mean? And, and it was, it was, it was, um, you know, the, the guitar rig and all of that was just something that was, um, I was, I was trying to sound like uh, a keyboard, you know, or, or something that I thought Nick might play, you know what I mean? Or, or quite, thinking quite about, iconic, that little riff now, though, isn't it? It's like, as soon as you hear that yeah, riff, it, you know, you know what song's coming. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's right. Yeah. It was kind of synonymous, I suppose, with what we was trying to do at the time. You know, I was trying to um, sort of play 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 something on guitar that was a little bit different and, and sounded would be more, um, I, I suppose, effective in a club because that's yeah. where we were 
we were we were we were being influenced by that style of type of music at that time. You know? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, the socialist politics earlier. Can you talk a bit more about that? I mean, how how important was that to the band, and is it is it still important now? Well, I think it, it stems from being um, being from Liverpool. Say that said, you know, my dog's barking. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Great. Right. 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 Yeah, this is the, this is here we go. Is, here he is. Oh, look at him! All the noise. <laughs> a small dog. It's a lot of noise for a small dog. Look at that. Yeah. This is Lily. Nice. Beautiful. Uh, Lily's nice to meet. Lily's oh, sweet. Anyway, what was it? So socialism. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, basically, yeah, we, it, it, it stems from, you know, our lives, I suppose, and being from mm. Liverpool. I mean, certainly for myself, I can't speak for everyone else in the band, but, you know, we've all come up with, we've all been brought up in a similar background and with similar people, you know, and I suppose it stems from the, 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 um, the our families and our, and our lives and growing up in Liverpool and new teams where there's this city that we're, we're now in, which is, you know, a completely regenerated city, was was decimated by the then Tory government, you know, and it was a city that was, was fighting with the Tory government at the time. So when you come out of school and there's nothing there for you and there's nothing but, and there's no future and there's just unemployment, you can't obviously look up for rationale and reasons for that, you know. And my, my father was a was a, a, a union a union, you know, member, you know, he was a he was a joiner and he was a member of the, the then the, the union um, I think it's called UCAT at the time, something like that. It was uh, the a, a, a union person. He was involved in the building work and strikes in the 1970s. So I was, I grew up in that environment, you know, and probably so did other members of the band. And we all have slightly different, I suppose, histories on that. But that was my particular history. So I was, I, I was always kind of political motivated before I even joined the farm, which is one of the things I suppose that attracted me to the farm, you know, because. Because of their social stance, I suppose, and their, their, you know, and we don't know necessarily always agree on everything either, you know. Um, so in 1981, I was walking to London, you know, I was I was on a, a march called the, the the People's March for Jobs, which mm-hmm. went from um, Liverpool to to um, to London, you know. Wow. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that's not... <laughs> yeah, so I was on a right. to London, um, hmm. which was about um, kind of, um, you know, the, the right to work, really. That was largely what it was, you know, in Liverpool at that particular time. I think hmm. it was something like one of the highest youth unemployment rates in the country. You know, there was something like 24% of, uh, of it, close to 30% of, of 
of the, the uh, you know the uh, uh, people under the, uh, under the age of twenty four were unemployed. You know, some significant and had a significant impact. You know, there was there was people being laid off all over the city. You know, you'd heard of a of a certain you know where uh, you know kind of. Uh, company going out of business and eight thousand workers have been laid off like that, you know, straight away. So it was quite, it was quite bad in this city and in, and in the north of England. So you kind of naturally gravitate to to that. So I marched to to London with five hundred other people, you know, from from this city where we were protesting on the right on on on, on, and on the right to work, you know. And I was doing that from I must have been about what twenty years of age, at nineteen at that age, or something like that. Doing that, and that's and it was my father that encouraged me to go on that. That's just mm-hmm. been recently um, recognised in Liverpool. There's a big mural on the wall now in, in one of the, the boroughs of Liverpool with this particular mm. picture. Archie, I'm actually in the mural, you know, which is oh wow, with me, with me mates. So I met myself and five of my mates who all went to football matches, all went on this match. You know, that's so pretty cool. So the, the history, political thing is, it was, it's just how we can look. You know yeah. that lack of having a social conscience and and having a, a one of the better world for people, as opposed to part of our education through, through our families and through the culture here in Liverpool and how we how we grew up. You know, so it yeah. naturally seeps into the music because if you if you kind of look in a, a situation where there is very little very little opportunity, there's there's no such thing as social mobility. And there is is high unemployment. You know, you're 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 into music, and you're getting a lot more gratification and satisfaction from that than say working in the kitchen washing dishes, which I've actually done that job. Um, mm-hmm. um, you're going to gravitate towards it, and it also gave it gave me and it gave all the members of the farm a voice that we could otherwise have. You know, and, yeah. and, and so music, music, in a sense, if you think about it, you know, in in a sense, it's it, I mean, on, you know. On, over time, it's storytelling, isn't it? You can you can listen to a song, forties, fifties, or sixties, and if you look at that like a historical artifact, that particular song, you look at it like it's some kind of historical artifact. And look at and um, kind of when it was made, who it was made by, where it was made, how it was manufactured, who did the artwork, all the different things about it. Just by researching that, it can tell you a significant amount about the time in which it was made. Yeah. So I, I yeah. Look at songs and music like that. No, yeah. I think we've all. I wonder though, right? Like young people now coming out of school, they've got fuck all, but they're not gravitating <laughs> towards socialism like in the uh, in the early to mid eighties. I wonder why that is. I don't know. You know, I think yeah, <clears throat> I think that, you know, although he became a bit of a, a live live figure, which was Corbyn. You know, I, I, you know, you know, the, the people that went into Jeremy Corbyn, it was kids. Right. Okay. Well, you campaigned for him, right? With Farm did. I don't know if you personally, but the, the band campaigned for Corbyn, right? We did, yeah. We, yeah, we, we did, yeah. We, we campaigned for Labour at the time because he was the leader, the leader mm. of the Labour Party. Someone that, that gave us a, a little bit of belief, you know. And and and, and uh, whether or not you, you like him or hate him, it, it was kind of relevant. You were saying the right things at the time and answering mm. things that, you know, really come to fruition, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as far well as the kids are today, I mean, I, I definitely feel that the kids, it's a different generation that they're influenced by different things, you know, and they're mm. different applying upon them that, and it's a different world that they're going into, very different. But I do feel that it's informed and it's educated because of that a significant amount of the, the, the common movement was, was, was people under the age of 30. Yeah. It wasn't all old people yeah. like us, 
is it rare? Because I'm hoping we go to rallies and it'd be full of kids. And I think mm. that's why the media and people were terrified of you know, because you did have a yeah. lot of people um, that was, uh, you know, that supported them, you know, and, and that's, I suppose, really quite frightening for, for Yeah, I uh, think I think when they they saw it, saw the old chance at Glastonbury, yeah, that, I think that puts sort of yeah. a bit of fear in. He wasn't like, no. Do you think like um, Red Wedge helped or hindered it? I think we, we played one of those gigs. Um, mm. I, I, again, I, I, I think it, it, it was. I don't, I don't think it hindered it. I think it certainly helped and it certainly engaged the generation of kids into politics. I, I think those things can be a positive yeah. thing if, if they're done right and done. Done in, in the in the right way, you know, and they're not just there to kind of use to kind of get votes and that type of thing. But if it is a, a genuine thing, I think that type of thing can work. You know, I think that wedge kind of lasted, you know, for as long as it lasted, and it was unfair mm. at the time. You know, there was a lot going on then. Yeah, there was a hell yeah. of a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just an area that I'm really interested in. As you say, I'm, I'm slightly younger, so I missed out on it. So it's really it's really good yeah. to hear from uh, from the inside. It's, yeah, it's definitely worth you know looking at. Let, let's, I'm trying to you know, I'm definitely worth reading about, researching it because there's so many interesting things that were happening back then. You know, you know, rock against racism, all of those types of yeah. events. You know, you know all the bands that we love played them. You know, yeah. all that we love when they played those types of events. You know, the Clash Days. You know, all of those types of Bands playing rock against racism, we all played those, those, yeah, those, all of those events, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. Um, you mentioned um Charlie Chester earlier. Can I ask a bit about um Ibiza? So, I watched that documentary a while ago. The um, I've forgotten the yeah, name of it. The yeah, about chilling. I mean, yeah. how much do you remember about that? It was it was fascinating to watch from from like twenty twenty three. You know, it was it was amazing. Well, that was that was made by us. We that okay. was made by yeah. Our, our manager at the time, Kevin Sampson, was worked for Channel Four, and he was a mm. he, he, part of the the editorial team there at Channel Four, and he was, you know, he, 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 you know, he, he, uh, and he he kind of convinced our label, who were our mates, basically, because we had our own label in Liverpool called Bodies Records. We made signs to make one. We just did everything ourselves. We managed to convince them to put some money into filming. And we got invited first and foremost out to Ibiza by Charlie Chester. It was him that mm. said, Look, Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing this two week event out in, 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 in Ibiza. It's, it's a flyer event. He's won a club in London called Flying, which was great. And, we, and he'd had us on playing the, the Flying uh, uh, flying Nights. So we'd already, we'd already knew Charlie, we'd already knew, you know, Bocca Juniors, Junior Boys Own, and all them, yeah. all them people. So we were hanging out with them, you know, and so we got invited there and, and part of it was well, why don't we film it? And and that was that's that's how that came about really. So our record made at the time paid funded money for us to go out there with a guy called Angus Cameron, I think his name was the producer, the director of that. And and, and just film what went on, you know. So they were out there for two weeks filming what went on and we were out there playing as well. And and so um and it, it, it was the only Documentary, all the first documentary, pop doc, if you like, um, documentary of its type at that time. No mm. one else had gone out there and tried to film what was taking place in the island of Ibiza. 
in 87, 89, and we were up there in 1990. Um, so we were the first people to make anything like that. And what Kevin did is he did not, he did not, he went back, he took the documentary, he went back to Channel 4, and he didn't actually tell them he was managers at the time. And, and so, look, these people have gone out to beef it and, and film this um, this amazing thing that has, has taken place out on the island of Ibiza, which is, we now know is rave culture and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they bit, you wow. know, they, they, they bit and I said, okay. Had you been out there before in 88 or 89? No, that was our first time out there. You know? mm. So we went out, everything that was going on, you know, bands like Man Called Adam, where all the DJs yeah. rocking these, yeah. <clears throat> all the different club nights, and, and obviously we featured quite heavily in it, you know. Yes. Great <laughs> <laughs> state and all of that type of thing. And it's just so happened that, um, <clears throat> I mean, them were the days when I suppose someone like Kevin could go into Channel 4 and say, look, We've got this, this great documentary being made out like Ibiza and get a commission right relatively quickly. And on TV, you can turn it around quite quickly. And so we did that, and it, and, and, and it, was, it was it was broadcast uh, on 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 um, national TV, uh, something like on a Friday or something like that, on a Thursday, Thursday night, and it was the most watched youth culture documentary of that year. Wow. And, um, and we just happened to be releasing our single about three days later, you know. So, oh, well, what a coincidence! We released it about three days later, so it was it was it was like made up in the moment, but there was a little bit of strategy to it. About where it was going, oh, we do that there, we do that there. It's all going to work for us a little bit, you know. And and that that documentary has become a cult cult uh, viewing, you know, for for yeah. people. I know the likes of Ben Turner told us. Quite a few years ago, that it was he what he said he was sitting in bed. I'm going to think about where he was. <clears throat> he said watching that on TV, and, and said, that was what made him go out to Ibiza. You know, wow. become become one of the you know significant influence on dance music. You know, like being a you know a, a journalist owning record labels and being and then and and, and being an editor of you know mixed mag and, and things like that, you know. So that 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 documentary inspired a lot of people to go there as well, you know. And it was just again one of those things we were in a situation where we could just say, let's go and do that. Because we weren't signed to a major record label, we were independent. So we could have ideas and, and as long as we had a little bit of money to go and do it, we could just go and do it. And, and some of these ideas not have always worked like but you know <clears throat> that um that's kind of how that came about, you know. And it, it's did you enjoy the clubbing as well? Did you get into it? Were you? Did you? <laughs> I'd be fair to say we did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, uh, Although I got there was a couple of kind of moments in it where I got the impression that you weren't again going back to the socialism thing. Maybe there was because you weren't comfortable with like the wealth disparity on display and all the people on their fucking yachts and all of that, right? That kind of came across. It was kind of implied a little bit in a couple of moments, or was it just me picking yeah. up and stuff? I don't know. Well, no, that, that was we were just making observations, I suppose. You know, for some sure. members, for some members of the farm, that was the first kind of time they'd been abroad. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. going abroad now, going abroad now, and, and have an holiday in Spain or Mexico or or these exotic places, I suppose, it's, it's like, you know, it's normal what kind of back then it wasn't. For some know, of us, yes. if, you know, for some of us, that was the first time we got on a plane, you know. Mm. Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever actually been on a plane. Because, you know, we didn't have all of these when we were kids. Basically, we were lucky we got some buttons. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And we yeah. got to a car. You know, I remember when I was on holiday, but I think my dad borrowed a caravan in, in, in Wales somewhere. You know, it was the, the holidays weren't a regular thing for us, you know. So I'm not saying it's like that for every member of the farm, but I would say it was like, like that for most people. So going out there was was, was quite exotic to us, you know, and, and it was it was um, it was a, a really um, exciting thing to do, and especially the fact that we were going out there and playing as a band, it, it couldn't get any better. But for yeah, us, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're out, when you're out there, you know, being in a band does open your eyes a little bit to love how some people live, you know, and mm. and. And especially when you come from a, a, a background where, you know, you, you, you've you had kind of very little, because I suppose, I don't really want to go on about that. Like, it's, yeah, I know, no, it's my fault. I'm, I'm asking the question. I apologise. I apologise. No, no, but it's like, it's kind of like, you know, if, you have, if, if that's the truth, you know, we didn't, yeah. I've not really been on a day before. Yeah. When we were out there, but you kind of look at it, you know, you know, be on, 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 on the yachts and just making sarcastic comments, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I, well, I thought it was great. Yeah, I think it was William Peter, isn't it, talking between themselves about smuggling yeah. on the yacht. It's great. So, yeah. But it, it, made it, 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 didn't, it didn't make the country floor, it certainly made good TV, and it, <laughs> and it, it, it made the documentary, which was good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so Groovy Train dropped straight when, after you got back, and it it blew up basically. I mean, how was yeah. it when things took off? Because that's like a a long time from when you joined, it's like five years, and then suddenly you're on top of the pops and everything's going going mad. How was it? It was crazy. You know, it really, really was crazy. It's the only way I can explain it. When I look back at it now, I kind of wish I'd have given myself that saying, "Slow down." You know, mm. it, it was it yeah. because. Um, we didn't really have anyone there telling us not to do things. We didn't really have anyone there kind of advising us as to, as to um, you know, um, how you, what strategies going to be or how you're going to evolve. We didn't, didn't even at that point see it as a career. And just, it was just what we were doing, you know. You don't think in those terms. We listen to a lot of musicians now, we talk about careers. We really talk about careers then. We were just... You know, we're just trying to make music and having a voice, uh, and and, yeah. and 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 doing it for very, very, I suppose, different reasons, you know. Uh, and then you, you become exposed to all kinds of stuff that you never dreamed you would, you know. So some of it is great, obviously, it's great, you know. But some of it becomes quite uncomfortable in a way, you know, because I mean, I, I don't think I, I or you know, I know you don't necessarily deal well with sometimes deal really well with all the attention, you know. And all, and all the yeah. fucking and all those with it. it, it puts you in a very um, unusual, I suppose, situation. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's it's not nor- a normal situation that you, you you end up being in. You know, you want to go on stage and play music, and and for people to listen and appreciate the music, and you want to applaud, and kind of when you get it, it becomes really intense. You don't want it, you know. So it's it's a bit yeah. dichotomy. It's a bad time. Yeah, give us. I was going to say, being in the band, it's a very intense experience touring. You're basically living together, aren't you, for, for months on end. And it's, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in each other's trousers, you know. I mean, it's funny. You know, we, yeah. you, you, you get on each other's nerves, like the stupidest and most simplest things. And, and yeah, like, well, it's, you know, it's intense. When, when you're on the road as well, I mean, it's every night it's drinking, isn't it? You know, back then, that's, that was kind of what, um, it, 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 it was going on. You've got riders where you get free drinks, you get, you know, all kinds of free risks. And, 
and then um, and, and and so you kind of you, you slip into a, a, a habit of doing that type of thing and it becomes mm. quite detrimental as opposed to you as individual, you know, and, yeah. and both mentally and physically, you know. So and, and and it's just the work that goes with it because it is non-stop work. You can look at it yeah. and think, oh that you've got a wonderful life, but you spend most of your time in a band waiting around, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for the ball or wait to get to the gig, or wait for sound check, or wait to go on stage, and wait, and then meeting with people after the gig, and wait to go to the hotel. It's just, you know, and then yeah. I mean, wait. It's just, you spend most of your time waiting around then when you're on the band. And, 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 and working, you know, working, it doesn't matter what time it is. If you have to get up at three in the morning because you've got to go to, you know, like, go and catch a flight to Amsterdam because you've got two to in Amsterdam. Or in, in Holland, and then go, and then go straight after that, you'll fly to France, and then because you've got some more stuff to do there, and then and, and then go to Spain. I mean, I remember doing that one day, go from Holland to France to Spain in one 24 hour period to oh, do yeah. different do gigs. So it can become a bit like you know, wow. it, it's like you don't know where you are sometimes. I remember waking up once and that, we go once and got really drunk. On the flight, and I woke up in the morning, and, and, and I didn't know what country he was in. You know, <laughs> it's like, like what country we in today, and it was, it was. <laughs> so it's okay, you know. And that it can get a little bit like that, you know. It goes a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have, you don't have anyone looking after your mental health then. You don't maybe back then. You didn't have anyone, right. you know, looking after you, you know you. Even like, I mean, I wear hearing aids now because I'm past death now, but you know, almost talk about, yeah, 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 about the pain and your health and all that, yeah, yeah. Whereas now, it's the first thing that kids at all, you know, to look after your hearing to look after your earplugs, yeah, 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 that's true. It's it's a lot of work for all of the kind of rock and roll crazy stories that you hear and go on, it's it's also a lot of work, you know, but was there some rock and roll as well? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you get to meet any any heroes? Sorry. Did you get to meet oh, any yeah. of your heroes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to meet Mick Jones. He's one of our heroes. We'd already got to meet Suggs. You know, with most of the people that you you inspire, you aspire to, or or liked, or or were were were, um, were icons at the time. At some point, uh, you bump into them, you know, and um, yeah, and, and that was. You know, I always find that fine. You know, some people say you should meet your heroes, but that might be true in some cases, you know, but for most of the people I've ever met, we're not we just all right. You know, yeah, because yeah, people people say that, but through doing this podcast, you know, we've we spoke to loads of our heroes and they've all been bloody lovely. Uh, <laughs> lovely like, people. They're all human at the end of the day, and they're probably the same as the same as the kids that you grew up with in class. Some of them are not so nice, some of them are all right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, some yeah. of them would It's kind of the way it works, and that carries on through through music, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I met Chris Rea once. Remember we met Chris Rea once? That was in. We were doing some of the pops, and so was Chris Rea, and he was lovely. He was absolutely yeah. lovely. Then we sat in the beach, I it, Chris cafeteria with him, and he was absolutely lovely, you know. And when he comes, yeah, I was going to say. Go I was going to say about top top of the pops. Um, do you remember it was on when you played? You, which other bands did you meet? Can you remember? I think we played there uh, with uh, Cliff, Cliff Richard was 
That was uh, that was uh, when we only had all together now in the charts and Cliff Richard was on and Madonna was was on was on was a video and uh, remember we, we Cliff Richard I remember I went over to Cliff Richard and asked for this autograph from me mum. Neil's mum's a big Cliff fan as well. I think he told me he was beautiful. Well, I'm kind of beautiful, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, gave me the autograph, an autograph from me mum. Not that I don't even know mum wants his autograph. I just got it. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. people like yes, and, and being on being on some of the and some of like, it, it, it just felt surreal because these are uh, yeah. talking about practical. And so back then a TV show like that really meant something. Yeah. Because you oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you learn some new bands or new music or that's how you know when you're doing well in the charts with us. Now it's all at the end of that, isn't it? It's all at the end of the yeah. phone. But then you'd have to go and read about it, or you'd have to go out the house to go and buy a record. Do you know what I mean? But it's now just kind of, it's all ridiculous to sing it. You know, it's, it's, all, it's like water, it's at the end of the phone. And then, with this, you know, so when, when you're on a show like that with people like the of your life, you know, kind of, not, not, you know, not watching because you like them, but, you know, they're just there all the time, they're omnipresent. It can be quite a bit of a mm. Didn't feel Yeah, me. yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see, we mentioned it all together now. So, I mean, we talked about it quite a lot already, but it's, it's, I mean, why do you think it has become like such a, it's a, it's a timeless classic, really? And, and what, you know, what's, what's, what separates just like a great song from, from a classic song, which it, which it is, you know? I, I just think it's, um, it, it, it's got a good chorus. It's got a feel. Um, I mean, we, we took the chords from, um, what we knew at the time was the sheep advert, right? That's kind of, and it was it was called the sheep advert because it's the music really is Pachelbel's canon in D major, and Pachelbel's a classical composer who, who died two hundred years previously, so which meant the music was copyright three. But um, the dog the members of the farm, you know, Steve, if you like, always been into classical music. He's always been into. Listening to that that type of music, and and, and as I have myself, and so Steve always liked that chord progression. So we remember bringing it into the rehearsal and saying, "Well, I've always loved some," and and, and playing up the strings on the keys, and and it's all oh, the sheep advert because it was used in an advert in the eighties to sell wood. Right. So we used to keep yeah. over the club, and would be getting played in the background, and we all instantly recognised it, but. And the idea was then let's put it to a, 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 a hip hop loop, which is what what happened. I think it was a BDR tribe really, that we put it to at the time. And then wow. we just put it to a hip hop loop and it, it all just emerged from there, you know. Yeah. But still, you know, and, and so that, so that, 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 that cycle, that, that chord cycle has been used so many times in, in music. Mm-hmm. And you get it right, it, it, and you get the right melodies, and you do the right interpretation of it, it can stand the test of time. I mean, it stood the test of time in terms of music, it's music for 200 years, you know, prior to yeah, the music. that's true. Yeah. And a lot of people... Yeah. A lot what's, of people what's another 30? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have <laughs> like, secrets and called cycle scenes, you know, Pet Shop Boys have used it, you know, uh, all, yeah. all the music. So it's a canon, and it's, it's, it's a cycle, it goes... It goes round um, as, as a, and it works kind of really well. Um, 
and, and and then you've got obviously the Maladies and Peter's lyrics, you know, which are, you know, at the ultimate at the end of the day, people, people, you know, it's a really interesting story. You know, it's a yeah, yeah. and that and it's based on fact, you know, and 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 we kinda I think at that particular time it being a Christmas it's not a Christmas song, it's an anti war song, which is what it ultimately is. Mm. Yeah. It just happens to Christmas, you know. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. Think, I think there's a lot of different elements, and I just think it connects with people. You know, it's about, you know, hugging your enemy, I suppose, isn't it? Or, or being next to, you know, or working with um, the next kind of. Sorry, that's a new back because it's on the computer and you're driving the computer. That's what I know. <laughs> and I think it's a positive, just a positive message behind it, right? It's, um, yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, he's in the world, isn't it, at the moment? You know, it kind of always seems to be That's a positive message, which there is, I mean, they're, they're not the most poignant lines, I, I think, you know, beyond altogether now in that song is, is, the, is the line where Peter's saying there's a spirit stronger than war who's working that line, you know? And, the, and there is a spirit stronger than war, you know, and, and, and that's ultimately what um, took place, you know, you know, in terms of, People not want to wake up this morning, not wanting to kill each other and walk marching yeah. across, walking across no man's land. Imagine the cold that that takes. Yeah. yeah. A, a, a piece of land which is completely, you know, desolate, destroyed in, in, in the previous weeks and days, in, you know, a, a barbaric men, you know, killing each other. You know, where you just you shoot each other, bombing each other, and then you think you decide one day not to do that. And take that first step. Imagine it. Just imagine from that first person. I think that alone takes some courage. You know, <laughs> you, have to, you won't want to be the first one, would you? <laughs> you know, you know, when you never shot each other, never killed each other. So that's also that story is an amazing story. You know, and Peter brought that to life with his lyrics. You know, and and that's why I feel it's test of time. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's just got a, it's just got that message, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, like you said, it's still relevant now. Well, more yeah. than ever, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said you've been played. You played um, loads last year. Um, how about for twenty twenty four? Have you got a lot of a uh, lot of gigs lined up? Yeah, yeah. We've already got quite a few gigs in the book, you know. But I think the first one's in Manchester. I think about the twenty ninth. We've got um twenty ninth of February. I think or twenty February. We're playing. Um, for in in Manchester with Saul and James and Joe Dedan's orchestra, and we're doing a, a, a gig there for it's an anti poverty gig, you know. It's um, we're doing that in Manchester towards the end of Manchester, so that would be one of the first ones we do, and, and that's going to be quite different from what we normally do. Guys, that'll be us doing it as a broken down thing with string sections and orchestra and stuff like that. So we're wow. looking at Pulling that together at the moment, and then we've got you know quite a few festivals coming in. Yeah, yeah. summer we'll probably be looking to do some more <clears throat> farm gigs towards the end of the year because we've got a lot of new music out this year. You know, so I was going to say I saw a new single announced as well. What's can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, we've uh, <clears throat> we had a single out last year called Feel the Love, which got playlisted at Radio Two, and we haven't been playlisted at Radio Two for years, so it did really well. <laughs> And, and so on, the, on what we plan to do, because me, me, Steve and Peter have been writing for a while now, you know, and not for anything other than a bit of fun, you know, we had, but we've never really stopped, never really stopped 
working on ideas. We just just didn't really do anything with it because we're all busy. You know, we had some of these songs before COVID. But, but um, we, we kind of released some as a physical EP. And then we were going to put them online and never did anything with that. And, but then I got cancer uh, uh, just as um, just before COVID and during cancer. So I got throat oh. cancer. Oh. I cleaned my throat. So I've had throat cancer twice. Um, and I'm, I'm in remission now for maybe it won't be coming summer of four years. Oh, great. And um, so obviously, and I'm everyone being busy, that kind of knocked us out of our step. So, but then after it, we thought, let's yeah. get releasing that music. So we released Feel the Love in, um, in, in September, and it done really well. It done really, really well as a, as a track. And our yeah. next single is called Let the Music. Uh, brackets take control, and that's mm. that was on the first of February, which is about four weeks' time. Nice. Brilliant. That will send you. I'll send you over a version so you can have a listen. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, be yeah. Great. yeah, yeah. And and that's kind of. In, in, I mean, the new music that we're doing at the moment is kind of inspired by the things that we're listening to at the moment, but also some of those things that we would listen to as kids. You know, I mean, just um, <clears throat> we've been playing these new new, new tracks that people in the industry that we kind of know and they're all coming back telling us look these are great great songs you know which is one of the reasons we started to release them because it, it, it mm. we thought you know we would be bothered releasing them because they can kind of look a bit contrived when you start doing it at our age but everyone thinks hey, we'll get them out there and we thought well okay, yeah we'll just we'll just do it and we're doing it in the same way that we did so we're doing it we've always done it it's, it's all it's DIY we're doing it ourselves nice. I mean what kind of bands are you listening to at the moment that you're influenced by I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm listening to all kinds of different stuff. The moment I listen to kind of new stuff, old stuff, you know, uh, I've been listening to a lot of disco recently. I don't really know why. <laughs> well, I was gonna, well, well, the title sounds a bit discoy. Let your your body taken. Yeah, you, you could say that this is. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's kind of influenced by those things that we like when we not like when we were kids, but the things that just went in as you know, you're constantly bombarded by as kids, and so. There's definitely a kind of, um, you know, a, 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 a craft working disco influence in there. Nice, That's nice. With this new track. And um, and, and, and again, everyone that's heard it, as, as, as I say, it sounds like a farm now, you know, which is, which is, which is, I suppose, you know, it's, it's kind of what you want there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, we're going to let you go in a minute. Thank you. We've kept you a long time. We apologise. Neil, do you want to ask the uh, the question we always ask? Yeah. So, so we, this is the question that we we ask all our guests, and we we just like to know um, if you could have been in any other band around that time, uh, who would it have been and why? If, it, if it, what was the question again? Sorry. Well, if you, if you could have been in any other band around the time that the farms sort of early late eighties, early nineties. Who would it have been and why? If I could have been doing what with them? Well, anything. It's up to you. Hypothetically. Okay. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, there were some great bands that come out of that time. There really, really were some great bands that come out of that time. And most of them were kind of... Yeah. One of, one, one of the, the bands I really liked from, from, from that, the 80s, which I still think are relevant now, is they're there. You know, they're mm-hmm. one of the... They're there. Yeah, great still, man. I still listen to them now. You know what I mean, and I listen to to Martin. It's, you know, they I just listen to them. They're, they're, they're in this band now. Yeah, no, great band. So they still sound fresh to me. 
they'll still sound mm. fast. They're it's just feel, but what we're doing at the time with, with, um, you know, with the, 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 the music and, and, and how we should call it, you know, and the different type of approach to, 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 to production and stuff like that time was, was, was really, was really inspiring and, and still inspiring now, yeah. you know, so, mm. yeah, they're one of the bands that I kind of really love, you know, from that time. We also love Bob Marley, you know, we've been a massive Bob Marley fan, you know. I got to see Bob yeah. Marley. Yeah, so, really? I was only a kid, I got to see him in the engine side. Oh, wow. Well. Oh, no. Water, That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 That's great, nice, Um, All right, that's yeah. brilliant. Um, What's the best way for people to find out what you're up to? Um, Invite on social media, really. Okay. Um, the, uh, farm, either on uh, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, it's normally the farm music or farm, li- farm live. Um, and normally, yeah, just on social media, the farm. Um, and put on, you know, all your social media channels and you can pre-save our, our new new release if you go to any yeah, social media link that you'll be able to click and, and I mean pre-save or something we never used to do years ago <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well yeah <laughs> what we'll probably do we'll probably um, we'll probably try to um, time it so that this this comes out just as yeah. the single comes out if we can yeah yeah we'll try to do that Cool. Okay, we're going to stop the recording, um, but don't jump away just yet. One moment. But thank you very much. Thank you. There we go. Keith from the farm. Dave, what do you reckon? Oh, yeah, I really liked him. I mean, I say that every week, but he's such a down-to-earth guy. I'm waiting for the week where you say I really didn't like that guy. Wait for that. <laughs> what a prick. But it's funny, isn't it? I genuinely <laughs> yeah. did like all, have liked everyone. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a lovely guy, yeah. Yeah, and it was funny. I think, was it Luke that asked him why he thought All Together Now was a good hit? And he just said, well, I had a good chorus or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very matter of fact. Fair, fair, fair enough, right? But going back to the All Together Now, yeah. I mean, what a song. Anti-war song. Still relevant. Still powerful. I, I said in the prelude to the interview, it's just one of those timeless classics, isn't it? Great sing-along song. It's just great. Like first time I'd seen it live at Cheyenne, but it's, it's a brilliant song. Um, sounds great live. Positive message. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't realise it was about the uh, Christmas footy match. No, nor oh, did really? I. Yeah, oh, no, I didn't okay. know. It's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, when you actually listen yeah. to the lyrics but i didn't yeah. know yeah i just i looked up the that because i thought is that a bit of a myth that they all came out and played football i was about to say this and it's yeah. not a myth yeah it's mm. not a myth at all it did happen mm. but it only happened at the first christmas and then mm. the high commands just prevented it they did not want that happening ever again but i think mm. about that like You've got to be brave, haven't you, to be that first player on the pitch, <laughs> like just to hope that no one's going to fucking blow your face off. Yeah, you have to have a lot of trust. But yeah, I think that kind of highlights the madness of war, doesn't it? In that football game, you know, play a game of football and then back to it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Eh? I wasn't aware of the Suggs connection until we spoke to Keith. We didn't know anything about that. 
No, though when I looked into it, it came up in nearly everything I, I, I read about it. It came up, so I guess it was it's oh, yeah. fairly famous. But I didn't know it's from a classical music as well. Didn't know it's from. Um, did you listen to the um, the Pachel Bell that he uh, he mentioned, the Canon in D major? No, did you find it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it is it the same? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's totally. I can totally see where it comes from. Yeah, he kept saying it's from a sheep advert. I don't. What was, what did he mean? What do you mean? You, don't you can't the buy sheep. For sheep, do you? Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you go, you can't buy sheep, sheep man. Advert. I don't think Keith said anything about buying sheep. You think you're watching a different interview, man? You said sheep. You said sheep. You Keith said sheep. Said it. They don't usually advertise for for buying sheep on telly. Well, that's do they? what I thought. I Maybe think... it was a wool advert. Maybe you didn't say it. <laughs> but even then, you don't get adverts for wool, do you? Lamb chops. <laughs> Bernard Matthews. That must be it. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I find it quite interesting. Um, well, I find this quite interesting anyway, but when he joined the farm, it was primarily because he looked the part and then he then it was like an after thing that he could play actually play the guitar really well. But it's the band identity thing, isn't it? It's, it happens with Jesus Jones it's as well. It's important, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's being modest, though. I think he was good at guitar. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, he's a great guitarist, but I'm just saying that primarily before, before they even heard him play guitar, they're like, "Oh, he look, yeah, he looks, he looks decent." And then they heard mm. him play guitar, and it was like, uh, "Yeah, maybe that's why Main Street suffered a little bit." We all looked like we were in different bands, I think. Oh man, do you know what? I was clearing out my um, CDs today because I'm I'm renovating this room, and I found this Main Street CD. <laughs> I mean, looks like a record, doesn't it? Look at that. Oh, no. I'd lock that in a safe if I was you. Good, is it that. supposed to look like a? Oh right, it's supposed to look like a record. Yeah, it's supposed to look like. Um, a yeah, I, I, you know, I took almost all of my CDs to the record shop to sell them, but I kept this one yeah. back. Oh, keep that. That'd be worth some money. Because no fucker's going to buy it, are they? <laughs> it won't. <laughs> it's a good song, that. Why don't you, as a oh, challenge, challenge yeah. as a challenge before next week, just go and see how much they'll give you. For it, how many yen, and then come back and tell us next. <laughs> but week. I, I took like a whole a bag of them slot. earlier. They wouldn't take like a burned CD mean? though, would they? They'd be biting your hands off for that. <laughs> they'd throw it back in my bootleg. I wouldn't. They'd be. They, they'd know. They'd know. They, they'd tell you that they didn't know what it was, but they'd know. The mighty Main Street. Anyway, I found that today. Um, so going back to the Suggs thing, but Keith said that they, the band was like. Scar punk influenced. I love all that. The Scar was a really important scene, wasn't it, to a lot of these bands? We've had a few people mention the specials. It's quite a political movement, wasn't it? The Scar scene. I think that's quite important as well. Yeah. Uh, disenfranchised. And they looked and cool that. as fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Ghost Town. I love that. Yeah, man. The Scar scene, it caught, sort of just came and went in a flash, but it was it was a really huge scene. For, for the youth of the UK, I think. It was part of that Red Wedge thing, and I had to go and look that mm. up. I hadn't heard of that. Mm. Oh, really? So that was yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For the listeners, Dave, do you want to give a rundown of, of Red Wedge? Well, it just looked like uh, quite a few notable bands and artists were, were in a political movement. Inevitably, it broke up because they disagreed with each other. Well, no, not really, not really. So it was like, I think, uh, it was like mainly like Billy Bragg, Paul Weller, 
and uh, Jimmy Somerville were like the main people, right? Mm. And um, yeah, I think they, they basically come together for the sole kind of reason is to get, get Labour elected, basically. And it, they were they were like semi-official, like they were given an office, like in the oh, really? Labour headquarters Ooh. and stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. Know that. And it was like, yeah, they were like semi-official within the Labour Party, but but not really. And they had concert, mm. also comedians like Ben Elton mm. and Lenny Henry and Harry Enfield, all those kind of up and coming at the time, right? Um, new mm. new comedy kind of comedians. They were they were in it as well, and they did like yeah tours and gigs and benefits, just trying to raise awareness and get young people to to vote the Tories out, basically. And, oh, uh, that's what they should. They broke up because they, they lost the nineteen eighty seven election. That's <laughs> yeah, why it, it kind of fizzled out, basically, because yeah. the the fuckers won. Um, Dave, I've got a question for you. How many how many times a day do you use a masturbatorium? <laughs> that wasn't my question, but you might as well answer it now. It's That's my answer. question, and I want an answer. I wish it was one. Too many to count. I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, whenever you, someone asks you a question or something, I've got I've got a nervous thing where I touch this side of my face, but you always look out your window like that. Did you know that? Yeah, I do. I do. I've actually noticed that myself. Just thought I'd mention it. Mm. Anyway. I can't explain it. No, it's a, it's a I thing, like it. it. Luke plays with his pen. I do that. And you do that. Just an observation. Um, no, 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 thanks. But I want to talk a bit more about all the socialist stuff he was talking about. So I've got, I loved listening to all of that, right? I bet you. And it was really did, interesting what like we were saying. He was like, well, but he was like explaining it. He's like how like, you know, Thatcher's conservatives basically destroyed Liverpool and, you know, there was yeah. no future for young people. And so he kind of, he was like, so of course, of course I was drawn to socialism. And mm. like I asked him in the interview, like, well, it's not of course, right? Because the same shit's happening now and young people aren't being drawn to socialism. There's not a new red wedge. There's not artists that are, you know, making these collectives like they did then. And mm. I just, I just don't understand why not. But I think young people are drawn to socialism. My kids are definitely, definitely drawn that way. Hmm. Okay. Okay. They're just um, it's not seen in the media, I guess. It's been squashed, mate. Most young people that you speak to would vote environmentally if they had the choice, but no, no major parties really offering them any of that. But mm. they would certainly vote Labour over Tory. You got Greta Thunberg's movement, haven't you? Come on, Dave, pronounce it properly. You're you're Swedish. Pronounce it properly. Greta Thunberg. That's better. That's better. I think that was pretty good. It sounded more Swedish than us. Thunberg. Thunberg. Yeah, it's good to see that Lawrence Fox's party's just fucking fallen apart. I love that. <laughs> he's um he's having some troubles, isn't he? That bloke. Didn't he just lose lose some court battle? It keeps entering like these local elections, and it doesn't get enough votes. To pay, you have to pay to put up a deposit, I think, and you get that back if you're yeah. if you get enough votes. And they keep, they keep not getting enough yeah. votes, so has to shell out all this money. It's just shit. It's just shit. I mean, I guess that's heartening. I guess, isn't it? Maybe he's just not very popular. Maybe it's because he's a massive cunt. <laughs> yeah, completely. I think Luke's got it. Yeah, <laughs> completely. <laughs> well, if you're a massive cunt, usually not popular, you know. Donald Trump's a massive cunt, and he's popular. Oh, but he's a he's a he's a idiot one though. He's like a simpleton cunt. Yeah, they're fu- they're funny. They're funny cunts, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They are amusing. 
Yeah. Who's the? What about Ben Shapiro then? He's the, probably the biggest cunt on earth. I don't, I don't know much about him. Oh, he's just a hideous guy. Hideous. Yeah. Oh, don't know him. It's a bit okay. crazy. He's like Lawrence Fox, but much more intelligent and much nastier. Don't worry, I won't be alienating any of our listeners by saying that. No, I don't think so. They're all I agree, wasn't worried. Convinced. We, I think we know our listeners. I think we're all good. Oh, I think if someone like Lawrence Fox, that's that's an objective. That's he's objectively a cunt. That's that's not an opinion. Old uh, Andy Weatherall popped up again. Yeah, what an influential figure he is. Like I think I said this in a couple of episodes before, but and I knew the house scene and the indie scene kind of merged, but. It just wouldn't have been that indie scene without house music, right? Like Keith said that that riff for Groovy Train was specifically designed to be played in the clubs to sound like a keyboard rather than a guitar. That's that's why mm. the riff sounds like it mm. does. You know, it's an integral part of that music. And it was dance music, you know? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I <think laughs> it. Yeah. 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 Ecstasy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but why why do people who listen to indie like house music as well? Drugs. <laughs> My answer's <laughs> the same, up. it's drugs. <laughs> so you reckon without ecstasy, yeah, we might not have had either scene. Yeah, and indie would have carried on being boring as fuck, like, you know, droney, moany, smiths you know so it was boring and, and miserable wasn't it became made made music joyous again you know yeah no it's yeah. interesting it is interesting all that yeah it seems like the farm their music was a real sort of melting pot you had the scar you had the house the northern soul northern soul you know a real melting pot of musical influences yeah, it's kind of a pattern of the very early 90s, right? Late 80s, early 90s. It seemed to be a lot of that around, not only like indie dance, but just lots of lots of influences mm. from different places. And I think as the 90s went on, it became a bit more consolidated, right? And a bit less less varied, maybe. Actually, my daughter keeps playing the Smiths. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. That's yeah, interesting. Huh. How did she discover them? I don't know. I mean, I have, I do like them. I didn't stick up for them just now. But it's not because of that. It must be coming from her friends. She must walk into the kitchen in the morning, lighthouse family blaring out. I'm surprised she hasn't sort of gone down that yeah. route. What's happened there? I know. Well, they don't like what their parents like, do they? That's true. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're going to rebel against that. Yeah. Oh, did you see, actually, Tund- Tundi's on tour. He's going oh, is on he? tour with Gabrielle, yeah. <laughs> Tundi oh, and wow. you go. Tundi and Gabrielle. Yeah, yeah. Where are you going? Well, maybe, but maybe you could you could get me some free tickets now. <laughs> might get your yeah, press pass. Your media. We're media, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> See if I can swing your press I'll pass. Definitely go, and I'll report back. <laughs> All right, Neil, make it happen, man. <laughs> See what I can Dave do. meets Tundi. What would you say to him if you met him face to face? Um, I'd start with uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All the shit he's got on this. <laughs> don't, don't think. Tundi I, I think that's in. not. It's not your fault, though. To be fair, though, <laughs> that, that's not your fault. Well, I'll be apologising on behalf of the of the team. 
No, he'd, he'd, be, he'd be thanking you. He'd be saying, thanks, you know, you stuck up for us. We appreciate it, brother. Don't apologise on our behalf. We're not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tundi and Gabrielle, who thought, who'd have thunk it? He steps up on that stage and you hear the opening, the opening sequence to Lifted. Oh, you know what it's like when you hear that, a good song at a concert. Mm. Yeah, man. Gives you a buzz, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Mm. It does. Yeah. Nothing yeah. like Do you think you'll cry? No, I don't cry. I more go into kind of a stupor. <laughs> <laughs> sure. sure. mesmerised by the, the music. Are you going to take some pills <laughs> when you go? <laughs> Whatever, whatever's on offer. Yeah, yeah. Go and do some acid and go and watch Tundi. That's your assignment for the podcast. No, I'm not doing that on my own. <laughs> Me <will> go, yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone will be on it at the Tundi gig anyway. That's his vibe. Have we got anything else to say about the farm? No, it's, I, I like the recurring Top of the Pops question. Yeah. I quite like it's that. It's interesting to see they Each time with, we ask them who, who they're on yeah. Top of the Pops with. And he spoke quite warmly of Cliff, didn't he? And Chris Rea. I think he's just a nice guy, Keith. That probably just gets on with everyone, doesn't he? Even if they are massive twats. <laughs> I'm sure Chris Rea's a decent bloke. You said you liked him in the interview. I wasn't talking about Chris Rea, was I? The other CR. About? The other CR. <sighs> it was a great show, we keep saying it, but yeah, what a travesty that that's gone. But it wouldn't get watched like it used to get watched anyway, would it? Because people don't watch TV like they used to. No, but but it would have a life on its own online, wouldn't it? There'd be like you know the viral mm. clips of the week would be the ones that would be circulating online and stuff, right? So it would work in a different way, but yeah. it would have value. We should make a mission mm. this podcast to try and uh, get top of the pop recommissioned. How? How? I mean, how? How are we going to do that? <laughs> Tundi. Yeah. <laughs> so he's our way in. Dave will do some acid, speak to Tundi. Tundi will speak to the execs at Top of the Pops, and that'll be it. Be back online by next week. So that's it for this one. Um, thanks for watching and listening, or watching or listening. Um, if you are watching, please do give it a thumbs up. Leave us a comment below. Let us know your favourite farm tracks, farm memories. Ibiza, house, drugs, all that stuff. Leave us a comment below. Start some conversations. If you're listening, then rate, review, do all the stuff it asks you to do. Please do do that. It's quite important because it helps other people find the podcast, which means that we can keep it going and bring you more interviews. So definitely give it a rating and a review and all that sort of stuff. Luke, you've got this week's mixtape mix on the on the go it's on the go already yeah yeah but i've been having fun making it um yeah bit of uh yeah specials the jam the clash all that kind of stuff although i didn't i had a bit of a dilemma i didn't know whether to put road to hell part one or road to hell part two <laughs> from difficult. chris Rea. that's a difficult one yeah yeah do part I, we'll one. see do I'll, part I'll probably one. just both. go yeah I'm, both just do part one well yeah anyway anyway yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Which Cliff Richard yeah. are you going to put on? I'm not. Oh, although I do like Lucky Lips, actually. I like the old stuff. I might put Lucky Lips on there. Okay. Well, I might put a bit of Cliff on. All right.
Dave's, Dave's tried to squeeze in a Tundig song. So next week, we've got something a little bit different. We've got Adam Foley. He directed the uh, These Animal Men and Smash documentary, Flawed is Beautiful. So we got him on to chat about making that documentary and meeting Smash and These Animal Men. It's a really interesting one. It's just like a, a mega fan who ended up making a documentary, which is it's really cool. He's a really nice guy and he, he's got a lot of insight on those two bands and that scene at the time. Definitely tune into that one. It's, it's a really good one. That's it for this one, Dave. We've been a bit lackluster of late. Maybe you could sort of put, some, put a bit more. Yeah, give it some welly, Dave. Imagine you're in your masturbatorium. No one else is there. It's just you. I'm not saying it now. <laughs> You've got to. We've got to sit here till you say it. So Oops. You're going to you're gonna have to use that, that lackluster version, Neil. You're going to have to leave it at that. Oh, okay. He's not doing it. Look we've, at him. We've upset Dave. Petulant child. Furious. <laughs> Look at that face. He's absolutely livid. See you in a minute. 